This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Good morning, and thanks for joining me for Rise and Crime, your morning caffeine hit all about crime. I'm Mama Jules, and let's get to an update to the case out of Maine that involves four homicides and a shooting spree on Interstate 295. So let's pick up this tragic story just a few days before the deaths, where Lisa Shea had flown into Maine to visit her 62-year-old sister, Cynthia Eaton, and her 66-year-old husband, David Eaton. See, the three enjoyed several days together before Lisa continued her vacation at a hotel. She had left her sister's vacation home because the Eatons were going to be picking up their 34-year-old son, Joseph, from prison. I know, I mean, that's not a typical reason for saying goodbye to family on a vacation, but that's where we're at. Because, see, Joseph had a, shall we say, experienced criminal history that spans three states. He was being released from the Maine State Prison after serving three years for a probation violation. Joseph had also served three years in a Florida prison for aggravated assault. He was released from that prison sentence back in February of 2021. And Joseph also has juvenile convictions in Kansas for burglary and theft. All right. Well, on the morning of April 18th, Lisa had texted her sister and said she would like to swing by to pick up a sweatshirt she left behind. She wrote to her sister in that text that she would be stopping by around 9 o'clock that morning, but she never heard back from her sister confirming the visit. When she arrived at the home at 9.07, she noticed two blood drops on the front steps. She slowly opened the door and yelled out for her sister and husband, but no one answered. As she walked through the door, she noticed broken glass and blood on the floor. She was then horrified to see a body on the floor covered by a towel. Now, according to law enforcement, she approached the body and she lifted the towel where she couldn't tell if she was staring at her brother-in-law, David, or his friend, 72-year-old Robert Ager. See, the two men looked enough alike that Lisa couldn't tell them apart with the damage that had already been done to the body. And she felt pretty confident she was staring at her brother-in-law because the shirt that was on the body was familiar to Lisa, but she just wasn't sure. After assessing the scene, 
She noticed firearms were scattered throughout the room and bullet holes riddled the room as well. Lisa could see drag marks leading to another room in the house. She took several steps towards those bloody drag marks, but then whether she was just alarmed or her flight instinct kicked in, she turned and she left the home and she called 911. And I mean, I can't say I blame her. I can't imagine what it was like to walk into that. Now, once the authorities arrived, they searched the property and they found the three other victims. Cynthia Eaton and Patricia Eager were found in the house with David Eaton. He was the victim that Lisa initially found. And Patricia's husband, Robert, well, he was found outside. Now, the Eagers were friends of the Eatons and Lisa expected them to be at the house. And a family dog, well, that dog was also found dead in the home. Now, authorities, they found a note on the kitchen island that stated, someone had been molested and that nothing was done about it. The note also mentioned that someone needed to be freed from their pain and that whoever wrote the note wanted a new life. So what didn't they find? Well, they didn't find recently released violent offender Joseph Eaton. Now, later on, they discovered that Joseph had posted a video online the night before claiming he had been molested as a child. In the video, he also becomes emotional when he addressed people who claim to be Christian, saying they can't forgive somebody or they don't understand what they have gone through. He also described himself as just another guy who can't get his stuff right. Well, after about 90 minutes of investigators working the scene, a 911 call alerted authorities to a shooting on Interstate 295. The female caller was claiming a man covered in blood was standing in the middle of the road, waving his hands and shooting at her vehicle. That caller was not hurt in the incident. And then one minute after that call was received, another came in reporting a different shooting on I-295. Now that shooting was concerning 51-year-old Sean Halsey and his two adult children, 29-year-old Justin Halsey and 25-year-old Paige Halsey. Now they were just traveling to the grocery store when they heard pops and the back window of their car exploded. Sean, the father, said he sped up to escape, and then he pulled over to check his children. He found out that Justin was shot in the back, and Paige had been shot in the back and the side. Both Sean and Justin recovered quickly from their injuries. However, Paige was critically injured, and she is still recovering. Now, in a press conference a few days following the shooting, Sean talked about the freeway shooting and about a heartbreaking twist of his own father dying from age-related incidents just days after the shooting. So here, I'll let you hear in his own words how he humbly describes the situation. Irony that what he did before shooting on the highway is like two and a half, three miles from our house, and then we're there and he's there at the same time. All right. Now, what about Joseph? Well, he was arrested later that day in the woods, not far from where he had abandoned the vehicle that he had used in the interstate shootings. He has been charged with four counts of murder and also attempted murder and a slew of other firearm charges that relate to the interstate shootings. He is being held without bond in the Two Bridges Regional Jail. Now, the judge assigned to the case, well, he's ordered a psychological evaluation. This after Joseph's attorney said in court papers, he has an extensive and well-documented history of issues pertaining to mental health. Now, Joseph's next court hearing is scheduled for June 28th. He is admitted to killing his parents and their close friends, but how the charges proceed will be determined by the mental health evaluation. 
Maine does not have the death penalty, but the charges as they stand have a maximum of life in prison without parole if he is convicted. So I'll keep you updated on this case and I'll be watching for the results of that mental evaluation. Now to a quick story out of Alaska. And when I say quick, I really mean it here. There's not much that's been released on this case, but I'm hoping that more coverage will result in more leads. Okay, back on May 24th, 30-year-old Fairbanks resident Sunday Powers was reported missing after calls to 911 made authorities concerned. They immediately deemed the situation suspicious and they began searching along the Parks Highway corridor in the area where Sunday was believed to be traveling. Now, according to a Facebook post concerning her disappearance, Sunday could be heard arguing with someone in the background while making more than one 911 call. Her calls kept getting dropped, and she made multiple calls before her phone stopped pinging any nearby towers. Now, investigators' efforts had not established much over the next few days except video of Sunday's car being captured on a Trapper Creek gas station camera. This was just prior to when she made the 911 calls. Then on June 2nd, Alaska State Troopers found Sunday's Burgundy GMC Yukon in the Trapper Creek area. In the vehicle, troopers discovered the remains of Sunday, as well as another woman, 34-year-old Anchorage resident Cammie Clark. Now, without much information released, investigators classified the deaths as homicides, and they've begun their investigation But they also stated that there's no threat to the public. And it's always so bizarre to me when this is the kind of statement that comes from law enforcement. I know they have to do it. But if you don't know who killed the two, how do you know there's no threat to the public? Okay, anyway, that's it. That's where the info ends. Even her family has gone silent on Facebook. And whether that's instructed by law enforcement or who knows... But if you know anything about Sunday or Cami and their murders, I want you to call Alaska State Troopers at 907-352-5401. I truly believe the public can help in solving these crimes. Okay, let's move on to this story out of South Carolina, where a seemingly routine traffic stop proved to be a possible gift of life for one woman. Now, it all started in the early morning hours of May 28th, when North Myrtle Beach police officer Kayla Wallace pulled over a woman who blew through a red light. Now, when Officer Wallace approached the white Jeep, the woman driving the Jeep began exiting the vehicle. Now, Officer Wallace, she loudly commanded the woman to get back in the Jeep. She then began speaking with the female driver and her male passenger, and she noticed that the woman seemed distressed. The male also tried to exit the vehicle, claiming the windows didn't roll down. Now, in a statement by law enforcement, Officer Wallace said that while the male passenger wasn't looking at the driver, silently mouthed the chilling words, help me. Now, Officer Wallace calmly asked the passenger to exit the car, and she placed him in the back seat of her squad car. Once the two were separated, Officer Wallace returned to the Jeep where the female frantically said the man had just shot someone and had forced her by gunpoint to drive away from the shooting scene. Now, almost simultaneously, a be on the lookout, originating from dispatch, rang out over Officer Wallace's radio. 
The Bolo warned officers to be watching for a Jeep that matched the description of the one Officer Wallace was standing next to. It also said that a potential occupant of the Jeep was involved in a shooting. Now, Officer Wallace remained calm, and she called for county backup. When they arrived, they arrested the 29-year-old passenger Collins Manning Bates from Columbia. Now, Bates has been accused of shooting someone in the stomach outside of the Waterway House. Now, that's a Myrtle Beach restaurant. And after the shooting, he then allegedly forced the female to drive him away from the scene. He also stowed his pistol under the passenger seat of the Jeep. Bates is facing several charges, including attempted murder and kidnapping, and he's being held without bond. Now, in a kudos or a good job post on the North Myrtle Police Facebook page, the statement noted that Officer Wallace only had a half hour remaining on her shift. They congratulated her for remaining alert and saving a kidnapping victim who was in the clutches of the suspected shooter. So let's echo that here on Rise in Crime by sharing a big thank you for Officer Wallace. And we'll finish with this disturbing update to the familial murder-suicide case out of Enoch, Utah. Now, in a detailed report by the Desert News out of Salt Lake, a disturbing trail of video evidence shows the mental manipulation that was being suffered by Tasha Height at the hands of her husband, Michael. So let's give you a reminder of this case from early January of this year. On January 4th, police were alerted of a possible welfare check at the home of Tasha and Michael. Upon entering the home, they stumbled into a house of horrors, still decorated for Christmas. Police immediately determined that Michael had shot and killed his wife, his mother-in-law, and the five children before killing himself. And it didn't take long for the police to remember who they were dealing with in Michael, since Michael had previously been investigated for physically assaulting his oldest daughter, Macy, and for stealing his wife's electronics to secretly read her text messages. See, three years prior to the murders, Michael had been investigated for child abuse that included allegations of choking and shaking Macy, as well as allegations of mental abuse against Tasha that included Michael allegedly calling her stupid and lazy. He was also accused of keeping Tasha's belongings away from her so that she could not leave the home. Now, the seeming trigger for the murders occurred on December 21st when Tasha filed for divorce from Michael. And those divorce papers? Well, they were served to Michael on December 27th. Eight days later, the bodies were discovered in the Enoch, Utah home. So what about this video evidence that has been uncovered? Well, The 72 hours of video footage varies in the way it was recorded and for what reasons it was recorded. Some of the videos were secretly recorded where it appears the phone was placed in Michael's pocket as he engages with Tasha. In at least one other video, he openly tells Tasha he's recording her. Now in one video, Tasha is telling Michael that she doesn't feel safe with him and that she would prefer to take a separate car to a Thanksgiving event they were attending. Well, he refuses to allow her to drive another vehicle. And she tells him these are the deal breakers, that by doing this behavior, he is showing that he doesn't care about her feelings. And in another video recorded after the divorce papers were served, Michael seems almost oblivious to the fact that the marriage is going to end. He tells her he will work on his mental health, that he will see scores of counselors if he needs to, 
But then later in the video, he says he doesn't have time for self-care. And all while these videos were being recorded, Michael is conducting troubling internet searches like, would a neighbor hear a gunshot in the garage? Or if you hear a single gunshot in your neighborhood at night, would you immediately recognize it as such? And then oddly, some of the recorded conversations capture these heartwarming moments, like Michael tickling his four-year-old Gavin. But a majority of the videos, well, they just capture conversations between Michael and Tasha. Mostly those conversations are hashing out the divorce proceedings. And Michael does most of the talking. And he seems to be hyper-focused on the amount of child support that he will be required to pay for the five children. In one video, he states, I feel like you're pushing me in a corner. You want the best of both worlds. I'm feeling a lot of pressure here. I'm feeling like I just walked away from a business because I was feeling too much pressure. I wanted more time with my family. And then I get blindsided with the timing of this. It's almost like we're doing this now. So your rights are protected and you can try to get as much as you can out of child support. All right. Well, then Tasha responds by telling him that she's doing this now because She cannot continue to tolerate the way she's been treated. Michael also accuses Tasha of pitting the children against him, which is just rich since he has a documented investigation of child abuse from three years prior. All right, one item of tension that occurred right before the divorce papers were served centered around Christmas and the budget that Michael provided for Tasha for Christmas presents. She tells him in a video that she knows how much money was coming into the household from his Allstate insurance job, and yet she was only allowed to spend $100 on each child for Christmas. And she goes on to say that Michael is belittling and berating her because he assumes she didn't stick to that tight Christmas budget. Then on several videos, she begs Michael to move out, but he refuses to have, in his words, something broken. She also tells him their children, especially the oldest two, are uncomfortable with him in the home, claiming they feel like they're walking on eggshells. Now, at some point prior to the massacre of the family, Tasha had told family members that her husband removed all the firearms from the home. And Tasha's mom, well, she had been staying at the home specifically to ease the transition of divorce. Tasha had met with her divorce lawyer the day before the bodies were found, and court documents revealed that neighbors were concerned enough about what was going on in the home that they actually entered the Height home minutes before police arrived at 4 p.m. that day to do that welfare check. So, a couple of takeaways here. First off, let's remember the victims in the case. I think this is always key to reporting true crime. Now, Tasha was a focused mother who graduated from Southern Utah University with a bachelor's in child development. And shortly after graduation, she gave birth to her first child, Macy, who was 17 years old at the time of her death. Now, Macy was a determined student who was set to graduate high school in 2023 with not only a high school diploma, but also an associate degree from SUU. She planned on attending SUU in the fall to complete her bachelor's in digital marketing. 12-year-old Briley was a music and book-loving girl who could often be found playing the piano or the cello. She desired to be a librarian when she grew up. Now 7-year-old twins Sienna and Ammon, 
They had distinct characteristics. Sienna loved to take pictures and was an excellent student. And Ammon, well, he loved Legos and was obsessed with trains. And four-year-old Gavin, well, he was said to always leave you wondering what he had gotten into with his mischievous looks. And true to the youngest child, he always wanted to be in the middle of the action. Finally, 78-year-old Gail Earl was the mother of seven children who loved playing the piano and making quilts. She was a piano teacher, and she took great joy in seeing her students find their own love of music. All right, now for the second takeaway. Take care of one another. If you need domestic violence services, visit thehotline.org or call 1-800-799-7233. Or you can simply just text the word START to 88788, and then you'll begin a conversation with someone who can help you. Well, that's your Thursday edition of Rise in Crime. Thanks for being a part of these crime news updates. And check in with me on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. I love to hear your case suggestions, so make sure you leave those there. And join me again on Monday for more morning crime news. I'm Mama Jules, and keep safe out there.